Good morning, everyone. I am not Patrick, as I have more hair. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll be praying for, for Patrick and Katie as they're celebrating their anniversary, 25 years of marriage. We're so grateful for the example there and their travel around now spending time together. So, so grateful for that and the opportunity to share with you this morning. And Mike will have the opportunity to share next Sunday. So hopefully you'll be back to hear that as well. Um, also want to uh, just take a moment to say Happy Mother's Day to uh, all the ladies in the room. I know you may be thinking, well, I don't, I don't have any kids of my own yet. You still, I have no doubt, had an impact in the life of someone, some child, some young person. You've made a difference and an impact there. So thank you so much to all the ladies for the impact you've had on so many lives. And you may not even realize it, but I promise you, an impact has been made. Uh, I know for me back home, uh, not only am I grateful for my mom, but there's been so many ladies that God has placed in my life that have challenged me and encouraged me and kind of pushed me in the direction of becoming uh, the young man that God wants me to be. I'm just so grateful for each and every one of them. So happy Mother's Day to everyone. I hope you have a tremendous day and a blessed day as you all well deserve it there. So thank you for that. We've got uh, quite a few verses that we're going to try to walk through this morning. And so I'm going to try not to rush it, but at the same time rush it. But I also want uh, the word to be what speaks to you, challenges you, encourages you whatever the case may be. But before we dive into that, I want to share a, a quick story. And, and, and Gary, you'll like this because back in 2006, I went on, uh, left the country for the very first time. Okay, and my destination was Trinidad, Tobago. Okay, and we've talked a little bit about this. Still, I found the pictures, okay? So it'd be great to share those with you. You'll notice, wow, Jeremy, you were a lot skinnier then. And uh, <laughs> and that kind of thing. But I went with the, the church I, I came from in, in Georgia. I think it was about 11 of us. We went down to Trinidad Tobago to help lead like a Bible club for some children on the island. We helped with a local church, and then we did some construction projects as well. And uh, But while we're there, right, we got two leaders. Steve McCombs was one of the leaders of this trip. The other was Wayne Polk. Okay, These two, they're old old men. They went to college together, seminary together. So this is old school mindset. So they, they like, they're pranksters. In their minds, they're just the world's greatest pranksters. And he's got all this group of us. We're all young college or young singles. None of us probably passed sophomore to junior year in college. Okay, So we're all pretty young in our lives and you know we're in this this island first time for many of us be anywhere internationally okay and they've been telling us all these things um about the island and who knows what was true and who wasn't who knows what was false at this point because at this point they put us all together and i mean the most serious face i've ever seen on these guys okay because you, you some people you know when they make this surface like i need to listen to what they're saying right now okay sometimes they make a face I'm like whatever okay you just kind of right off but he got had this look on his face he's like look there's some people on this island that are attacking christians Okay. They're coming after them with machetes, bats. People have already been injured, so y'all need to be careful. So we're freaking out, okay? <laughs> we're freaking out. Okay, we're all young college students. You know, at that point, you know, we're thinking, I'm trying to think this scenario in my mind. <laughs> like, I don't want to die here. I'm just going to be honest, God. Okay, I don't <laughs> want to die right now. I know I love you, and I know you love me, but I'm not really at that place uh, where I want to die necessarily. So I'm looking at where we're staying. I'm thinking, okay, there's not a lot of exits, so we're trouble there. Okay, we're in trouble there. <laughs> it's like one way in, one way out. You know, all these scenarios are going through your mind. All these emotions are running through you because you, you do have this fearfulness, have this nervousness. At that point, you walk out, anybody that looks at you in any way, you're like, you coming? You coming after? You start going away from them. Instead of going to them, you start trying to think everything is just this moment of attack. And after a few hours, they let us know, that, hey, we're just messing with you, no big deal. You'll be fine. Okay, the island loves you. All the people are glad you're here. And so we just hated them for a few days after that, uh, you know, because that's what... <laughs> That's what Jesus teaches us to do in those moments, uh, clearly. Uh, but, you know, in that moment, though, I think a lot of things kind of went through my mind that as an American and as a, as a Christian in America, I've never really had to worry about. Uh, here in America, suffering or persecution because of my faith is not necessarily a reality 
that I have faced or will face anywhere like Christians around the world, or even more specifically, the Christians in the context of First Peter, where they face just intense persecution because they're believers. A lot of social persecution, a lot of political, a lot of literal physical attacks. And, and it got me thinking to this question, and I wonder if you felt to the same thing, you know, what if? What if it was me that was being threatened because I'm a believer? Not for anything else. But just people said, all right, they're a believer. We're going we're gonna to cause them to suffer. We're going to cause them to experience pain. We're going to do everything we can to either get, get rid of them or make them just say, I'm no longer a believer. What if that was me? What, what do you, you know, it's like in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do? That's what I was thinking that moment. I was like, what am I going to do if somebody comes around to me with a machete? <laughs> I'm going to run too. Um, you know, but what if somebody's coming to me to harm me or to cause suffering in my life because I'm choosing to live for Jesus? What am I going to do? What are the emotions that I'm experiencing? You know, am I putting a plan together? I don't know about y'all, but I kind of go through life and I try, I don't always do this well, but try to kind of think through like I'm in this situation. I guess it's kind of separate. Like I'm walking through the city by myself later. I'm like, I see a shadow. Most times it's my own shadow. So I jump a little bit and then I'm embarrassed. But I think if somebody comes up behind me and tries to grab me, what am I going to do? Or maybe I'm not paying attention. Or somebody near me in the train and the subway platform is not paying attention. They go to lean in. What am I going to do? Am I going to try to grab them? You know, I don't know about you, but I kind of think through these processes a little bit at times. I don't always act on them. Well, but what if you were facing suffering for your beliefs in Jesus Christ? What would you do? How would you respond? I think for all of us, it could be a little different. Sometimes, you know, depending on where we are, we may think, I'm just, I'm going. Yeah, I'm out. Sometimes we may have experienced something already in life where it's like, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to stand here. Maybe sometimes we think, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight them. So many different reactions can happen. So many different emotions can be experienced. And so this one I want to share with you just a little bit from First uh, Peter chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 22. And, and I don't want you to necessarily hear what I would do in this situation, but I want us to all look myself included in what Peter encourages and challenges us as believers to do in the face of suffering. Uh, so let me pray for you, and I pray for us, pray for me, as, as we get ready to dive into God's Word, we'll jump right in and just have a great time together. God, thank you so much for your Word. Because within the pages of Scripture, there's all these different men throughout so many centuries put this book together, divinely inspired from you, God. Wow. We thank you so much for sending that our way and allowing that to be a part of our lives as we can take a look at its pages, at its truth, as it, at its promises and wisdom to, to glean inside on how to deal with different situations in life, to encounter you and to discover who you are. God, what a blessing it is. So as we spend time in your word this morning, God, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth that is there to help us to grasp that, help us to understand it, to Make it a, a part of our lives this morning, God. Uh, and so we just look forward to that. I look for how you're going to challenge us, encourage us, teach us, and mold and shape us this morning through your words. So we ask us in Jesus' name. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's so good to see you this morning. Everybody's here. It's good. Even you, Mr. John. Always, always enjoy seeing you on the front row. And I've already told you, if I see you with your eyes closed, I'm just going to thank you in advance for praying for me, okay? <laughs> Amen. Okay, so um, real quick, before we dive into um, this book, I want to give a little background on what it's all about. This is written by uh, Peter, okay? It's written by him to uh, a letter. It's written to the first century Christians that were scattered off what is now modern Turkey. Just to kind of give you a reference point, there's a lot of 
young churches, smaller churches there. And uh, it was written shortly before an actual severe outbreak of persecution from an emperor named Nero, uh, who literally burnt the city down and then blamed it on Christians just so he could have an excuse to kill them. Uh, so there's a lot of intense, intense persecution. Uh, this audience that this letter was written to, the, uh, the audience that it was addressed to was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And the difference there is if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, okay? Uh, the majority of the audience was Gentile uh, believers at the time. And the whole purpose and, and kind of challenge from this book from Peter was that, hey, suffering is a reality, but I want to encourage you in the midst of it. I want to encourage you as you're going through this, as you're facing these uh, sufferings, this persecution, these obstacles in your life, I want to encourage you, okay? I want to challenge you in that. And so just a little bit about Peter. Uh, I think Peter is somebody we can all relate to in some form or fashion. I know Patrick uh, shared about Peter's life in our series where he's talking about being overwhelmed and how we beat ourselves up so much because Peter's one of those that put his foot in his mouth a lot, uh, was quick-tempered at times, very impulsive. Maybe you can relate to that. How many of y'all could just, you know, if you want to admit to it, you can. How many of y'all sometimes in life you just react way before you respond? Maybe say something, ah, I wish I could take that back or you do something. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Am I the only one that's done that? Or when you, you can do the head nod. Okay, it could be inside where nobody will judge you. That's fine. Okay, it's like a judge-free zone. So we're going to be interactive a little bit. Okay, I'm not going to call you out except for Mr. John, and I apologize for that. Okay, but it keeps him on his toes, and he asked me to do it. At least that's what I'm going to tell him. And so looking at Peter here, and uh, very impulsive, sometimes selfish, very short-tempered, and he really emerged as a leader around the time of Pentecost because one of the, the things right before that experience is, you know, if you've read through the scriptures, is that he denied knowing Christ three times, but then in, in just an incredible display of grace, uh, Jesus restored him, showed forgiveness to him, extended grace to them, even in the midst of that choice of his life. It's just an incredible picture in our own lives. Uh, when we make, uh, uh, make mistakes, we do or say something we regret, and Jesus is right there to extend grace to us freely. Uh, and it's just up to us to choose and accept it. Just an incredible picture that that is. And so that's who we're uh, going to be looking a little bit at. And as it comes to see, uh, later on, Peter ended up being martyred for his faith by Emperor Nero. And history has it recorded that he was crucified upside down. Um, and so he experienced it firsthand there. But we're going to look at, like I said, a lot of verses. Okay, we're going to try to kind of go through them at a pretty decent rate. That's where we can walk through and get the whole picture of this chapter there. So we're going to start in verse 8. And I want to read those. I'm going to read 8 through 12 to you. And just kind of get this thought in your mind that the life we live matters. Okay, just kind of have that thought rolling through your mind as we read through these verses. And it starts off, verse 8. <clears throat> Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. This is just kind of a challenge to the believers in this day. This is a, so if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, you kind of take a deep breath like, all right, this isn't kind of targeted at me. That's not to say there isn't something here that's meaningful that can encourage you because I believe all these, a lot of these characteristics can help anyone in life when it comes to our relationship with others. But in specific, this is targeted to believers. And, and it starts off, and I love this concept, be like-minded. Let's be clear. He's not saying, he's not calling for uniformity. Okay, he's calling for cooperation in the midst of diversity and in the midst of our differences where we're not so focused on our differences that we're an issue 
we see that as a good thing. We're to be like-minded as a body, as a faith family, as a church. We're to be so like-minded that we have this inner attitude that nothing will come between us. Division, mutiny, that's an unthinkable thing. Yes, we have our differences, but our similarities, the things we have in common, such as Jesus, our relationship with Christ is so great, so big, and so important. We're not going to let anything else come between us. We're going to realize that our differences, that's what actually makes us the strongest. And so Peter's just encouraging, hey, in the face of this suffering, in the face of what's going on in your life, be like-minded, stay one another, be sympathetic, be compassionate, have these tender hearts towards one another. When you see somebody in need, act upon that. He says, love one another. When I read uh, these three words, I love this. Because this is not like a, have a romantic love for one another. This is have a family love for one another. And for me, and this, some of you may make fun of Judge, but I think of the Fast and Furious movies. Because uh, if you've seen those, the, the plots are just, okay, whatever. Uh, the action, okay, well, I said it has nothing to do with anything, but the plot and the actions, okay. But it's, I think the thing that makes it such a financial boom around the world is this whole family element that they constantly, constantly preach, that they constantly throw out there. I also think of Guardians of the Galaxy. If you've seen the second one, you've noticed there were comments made in that movie as well. We're not just friends, we're family. Because the thing about it isn't a family, is we can have our differences, we can have our moments where we disagree or maybe, you know, just kind of conflict it out. But at the end of the day, we've got each other's backs. We love one another, and nothing's going to come between that. All right, you see that in both those movies. That now, obviously, those aren't real, just for clarity's sake, okay? Those are not real life, you know, documentaries by any means. Um, I think Fast Five may be close, but, you know, that's still up for debate there. But just this whole concept, love one another, have this family love for one another, especially because in the face of suffering or in the, the face of persecution, you're going to need one another. That's definitely not the time we want to try to go through life on our own or try to handle this on our own because we're going to get beat down, beat down, beat down. If we'll stay together as a family, we always know somebody has our back to lift us up, to encourage us, to love on us, to be there for us. And he's also saying, be humble here. Let's focus on that for just a second. Be humble here. In this context, he's saying, look, we want to be aware of your strengths, we want to be aware of your weaknesses, but also be willing to ask for help, be willing to offer help. But you're not asking for your name to be broadcast out there. You're putting the, the needs of others ahead of your own. You're not saying you're less important than anyone or that they're more important than you. You're just saying, hey, your needs more important than my own and so we want to look at that the life we live matters he goes on to say hey we're not to pay back evil for evil or insult for insult on the contrary give a blessing be willing to pray for others we want to be kind to others we want to extend forgiveness to others especially in our faith family realizing we all make mistakes we all mess up at times we need to be extending forgiveness and kindness to one another there goes on to say, for the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. I love the, the challenge and the reminder there of what you say matters. What you say matters. Words can hurt. Words can absolutely change the trajectory of somebody's life. So let's make sure the words that are coming out of our mouths are words that are encouraging, that are uplifting, that are building them up, not tearing them down, okay? Just be intentional to remind them. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can... In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this would be a funny joke. But in reality, it ends up being a hurtful statement. And I have to be so careful with that. And I know sometimes I still mess up. Um, maybe you're good. And if so, let's meet. Give me some tips because I could use them. Because sometimes I'm very, uh, that's one of the bigger areas where I think I struggle is trying to think, oh, it's just a funny, I'm old. But in reality, there's a lot of pain, a lot of hurt there. And I need to be much more intentional and careful and filtering, you know, or at least just turning on the filter to begin with sometimes to uh, do that because words do hurt. Words matter. And as a, as a body of faith believers, our words should be used to encourage one another, challenge one another, because especially when we're facing times in trouble, struggle, persecution, that's huge. A kind word 
and do something that absolutely changes the game for somebody. He was, he was saying, hey, let's do that. Let's pursue that. And he goes on to say, verse 11, let them turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. You're seeking harmony with one another with a determination and persistence. I'm going after this. I'm going to be intentional to seek harmony with one another. I'm going to hold on to that harmony. It's not going to be just a one and done type of thing. It's going to be a continual act and action of my life. And then verse 12, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Guys, the life we live matters. The life we live matters. Even more so in the face of suffering. That's what Peter's saying here to these believers. Hey, look, I know you're facing suffering. I know you're facing persecution. Don't stop living the life God has called you to live. Continue to live out your faith. Don't back down. Because when you do that, it just blows their minds. It's like, we're, we're suffering. Or we're punishing you. We're, we're persecuting you. Yet you're still living the same way. You're still living a life filled with hope. You're still being kind and, and generous to us. You're being nice to us. And it just kind of, they don't know what to do. It messes with them because they see something that they don't expect. It's like, what's going on here? What's different here? And it's Jesus. That's an opportunity. That's a platform for us to share. And we'll see that in this next section of verses in verses 13 through 17 and just you know we live this you know how we live our life matters all right but also look at this how we respond to life matters how we respond to life matters there verses verse 13 uh, he, go, he starts off who then will harm you if you are devoted or passionate or eager to do what is good uh, it's just that whole it's just kind of a rhetorical question peter's asking there you know since we're doing good in our lives will people harm us because he just got through those verses 8 through 12, we're talking about a life that's living, live out this good life uh, for those around you. And they're thinking, well, if I'm doing, if I'm living out a life that's good, genuinely good, it's benefiting others, it's benefiting society, it's benefiting all. Who would harm me in the midst of that? Who would, who would want to disrupt that or mess with that? In the normal world, nobody. But let's be honest, we're not in a normal world. And neither were they because they would face a severe persecution. So this is where the question really comes up. When I face suffering, or if I face suffering... How do I respond? How do I respond? That's the big question there. So we pick up verse 14. But even if, so that leaves the door open a little bit, people, okay? Not to discourage you this morning, but even if, leaves the door open that at some point in your life you could face some suffering because you're a believer. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to flip over real quick. I hope I'm going the right direction. There we go. Found the book I was looking for fairly quick there. In 1 Timothy 3, uh, verse 12, uh, we read, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So you probably came this morning thinking, hey, I'm going to be hoped. I'm going to get some encouragement this morning. Then that verse just sucked the life right out of his here. You know, because it's like, well, wait, what? Yeah, in fact, all who want to live a godly life will be persecuted. I think it's good to be reminded of that. Don't let it scare you. Let it encourage you. Let it challenge you. Know in advance. Be prepared for when that moment comes. You know, it's just like in the uh, the South. The only big thing that is terrifying to me living when I lived in Georgia was tornadoes. Okay, um, they're terrifying. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced one. I'm sure y'all have. Being from Oklahoma, Texas area, I, I have no doubts. I know we've shared stories and heard about that. But if you've never experienced a tornado, at least from my perspective, it's absolutely terrifying. Okay, because especially knowing. In the apartment I lived in, I didn't have a basement. I didn't have a downstairs bathroom. Because what they tell you is go get in a tub, okay? Because it's solid. I guess they just want everything there to fall on you. But anyway, so all I had was this closet under the stairs. 
So I remember one time they were saying it's going to be bad weather. It's a couple of tornadoes going through the county. Don't know where they're going to hit. And so I, in the closet I have, it's got, I got my golf clubs. I got a shoe rack. I got all my jackets. Got some junk up on the shelf. I got a shotgun, a baseball bat. I'm not worried about anything. I promise. Okay. And, and then when they say storm, I'm like, I need to empty this out. Because the last thing I want to have is my golf clubs to pelt me to death or my shotgun to go off in the storm because it's shaking everything up. So I got this pile of junk in the living room floor. And then I go in this closet. I've got an extra pair of shoes. i got some bottled water. It's a flashlight. I had a helmet. Okay, I don't even know where I had a helmet from, but I had one just in case. Okay, because I'm not sure if my whole apartment better just right on top of me. Okay, but the thing is, I had this plan in place well before the weather reported this. I already had this thought through. Obviously not deeply and well, but it's like if a tornado's coming, here's my plan. The same should be true for us as believers. We should have and be prepared that from that moment comes where we potentially face persecution, we're ready. It doesn't catch us off guard. Because when we get caught off guard, many times we react when we should respond. And a lot of times, let's be honest, when we react, it doesn't always turn out the way we want. Obviously, there are times when you need to react, such as when you're crossing the street in the city. Don't sit there and think about what you should do when that car's coming to hit you. Just run, okay? Just just take off, okay? I've had to do that three times to save my own life. Uh, so it's been incredible for that. But even if... You should suffer. You should experience or be subjected to something bad or unpleasant. Even if you should suffer for righteousness, doing the right thing, living a life that's parallel to the morals of God's word. Even if you should suffer for this, you are blessed. This isn't like a material blessing. This is gives a spiritual blessing where God is extending his favor and his grace to you in the midst of that. And it goes on to say, do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. Do not fear what they fear. Peter's saying, look, even if you should suffer for doing good, even if you should suffer for doing good, it's a blessing. Don't let their fears or threats cause you to back down or stand down or run away from your beliefs. On the contrary, stand up for your beliefs. Have confidence in that moment. And there's some clarity I think we need to give here on what is suffering. Because in this context, the believers are living out the life that God has called. They're living out these God of these righteous or living, or these right living lives. Suffering is not consequences. You and I, we sin. You and I, we make bad choices. The repercussions for those are not suffering. Those are just consequences because of our own actions. Those are areas we can't control. But on the other hand, the sins of others, the choices of others, are completely out of our control. And when they're directed at us because we're believers, that's a moment of suffering. So we need to be clear and be careful not to think, oh, I'm suffering. Well, you just make a bad choice and you're dealing with consequences because if so, it's not really it's not really suffering. That's called life because you made a poor choice. I think many times we can sometimes get that mixed up, whether it's intentional or sometimes we just in the midst of it, we're not even thinking clearly because of what's going on. So I wanted to be be clear that in this context, Peter's talking about you suffering. It's other people doing this to you that's completely out of your control of what's happening to you, but what's in your control is how you respond to it. And so let's look at that as we look at verse 15. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. But in your hearts, regard, have a deep-seated confidence in Christ as Lord of the universe, realizing he's in control. The ones that are coming at me or against me, they're not the ones in control. I know who's in control, and that's because I hold Christ in this high, high regard. 
He's not just this good man. He's not just this great prophet. He is the son of God. That's what that whole word, that the Christ, the Lord, that word Lord, is translated like Yahweh. It comes with his full power that he is a deity. He is God in the flesh. He's not just some stranger off the street. He's not just some great teacher from history. He is the God man. And he is the Lord of all. And for those of us that have a relationship with him, find confidence in that. Fear the Lord. Don't fear what others can do to you. Have this reverent and awe and just respectful fear of God knowing he's in control. He's in control. So what's going on right now, it hasn't caught him off guard. He's not shocked or surprised by it. He's with me. He's with me. I can face this because I know who Jesus is. I can keep going forward because I know who Jesus is. And be ready. Have that in your heart set down there that he is in control, not these others. And be willing to give a reason for the hope that is in you. That should be our response. Not running away. Not just clamming up and getting quiet. But having prepared in, in advance, knowing what we believe, why we believe it. Spending time in our own time growing, taking ownership of our faith and growing in our relationship with the Lord. Getting to know him more and more. When that moment comes, we're ready. Because if we're truly, truly regarding Christ as Lord in our lives, we will be ready at those moments to give a defense. When they ask what's different about you, we'll be able to tell them, let me tell you about the hope, this confidence in me that I have that I want to share with you. Because when we've got, we put our regard in Christ, we hold him highly, we're going to live differently. We're going to be responding differently in our lives. And so, but it doesn't stop them to say, all right, give a, give a response and you're good. There's a specific type of response we're to get. It goes in verse 16 to say, yet do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who belittle your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. I remember just the other week, I was on the train, number one train headed uptown. And this gentleman got on the uh, train. I was playing a game, so I had my head down, but I could hear. And I had my headphones in, but not on. Anybody ever done that before? I do that so I can just kind of be nosy without looking like I'm nosy. And so I'm sitting there, and this gentleman gets on. He starts sharing the gospel. I'm thinking, okay, okay, I'm going to see where this goes. I'm praying, hey, give him clarity, God. Maybe somebody will hear this will be what they need to hear. Could, and just at least get them thinking, change their lives, okay? Then he ended, then he started yelling. <laughs> like, okay, that took a turn. That took a turn. He's like, you're going to hell. I mean, just very aggressive in his approach, I thought. Like, oh, whew, I turned the music on right now. He's scaring me. Uh, you know, it's like, that's just not the not the best approach. Before I could even build up the curtain and say something, he took off and went to another train car or train, I don't know, differently. But everybody just kind of stood there, kind of dumbfounded for a moment. When we have that opportunity to give response, we're to do it with gentleness and respect. We're not to ram it or jam it down their throats. We're not to be overly aggressive or arrogant about it like we know everything. We're to do it with grace. We're to do it with patience. We're to do it in love. Because if we're ramming it down their throats or being aggressive, they're not going to hear anything we're saying. They're not going to be listening to what we're saying. It's going to be a missed opportunity to speak truth in to their lives. Verse 17 goes on to say, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. I want to encourage you in the midst of suffering, if or when it comes into your life, don't waste a minute focused on the actual suffering. If we'll keep our eyes focused on Christ, it'll change everything. All about a perspective change in those moments. Because I don't know about you, but if I get myself focused on why I may be feeling discouraged that day or, or why I'm irritated that day, it just compounds itself and gets worse and worse. And it'll be the same if I'm facing suffering, if all I'm doing is facing the suffering, it's like, woe is me, woe is me, instead of, wow, look at God. 
When we can focus on Jesus, we're reminded of who he is. We're reminded of his promises that he has made to us so that we know in the midst of this, I'm good. I'm good. I can face it. I can, I can survive this. How we respond matters. How we respond matters. Lastly, and this will be a passage here that some of it, I'm just going to be quite frank with you, confuse me as other reason, okay? And some of it, and Michael and I were talking about it earlier, and I've read study after study just trying to figure this out and get clear done. There's some of this that's just hard to even explain in general. So I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will do that for us all in this moment. But ultimately, in this verse 18 is huge, which there's no confusion there about it at all. But ultimately, what we do with Jesus matters. Right, the life we live, it matters. How we respond to life, it matters. But what we do with Jesus also matters. So please hear the truth here in verse 18. For Christ also suffered. So he's been there. He has suffered. He's not just telling us, hey, you'll be fine having never suffered at all. I don't know about you, but that's one of the toughest things in life is when somebody's trying to get you to say, you'll be fine. Yet they've never experienced it before. They've never been through it before. You're like, you don't even know what you're talking about. It's like you immediately discredit them, ignore them, maybe cut them off a little bit, or you just give them a dirty look, and then you know, they kind of get it. But in this moment, I love this. For Christ also suffered. He's been there. He's been there. He knows what I'm going through. He knows what it's like. Not just, not just because he's God, but because he has personally experienced it himself. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. The righteous, the, he was the sinless son of God. The perfect sacrifice, the righteous for the unrighteous, you and me. That he might bring you to God. He might bring me to God. There was a purpose for his suffering. Was restored a relationship and fellowship with God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. He was crucified. He was the ultimate sin payment on our behalf. What we could not pay, He chose to pay. It was a one-time thing that took care of it all. Because you read all through the Old Testament, how they'd have to sacrifice animals over and over again to cover their own individual sin, or to cover the sin of the Israelites as a whole. That's no longer the case. Through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that sin debt has been paid and covered for good. No other sacrifice has to be made. It's done. And Jesus did that for you and I so that we could have a relationship with God. This restored relationship and fellowship with God. Because the reality is when sin came to the world, it brought division between us. Because God is holy. That word of the Greek means he's set apart. God is so holy, sin can't even be in his presence. So if sin's a, a part of us, which is a part of all of us, due to the actions of Adam in the garden, it would take a perfect sacrifice to cover that. It would take a perfect example, a perfect person of righteousness to cover our unrighteousness. And that's what Jesus did. And so he died on the cross to pay that sin debt. Then he was raised from the grave three days later to put an exclamation point on that and say, hey, I told you. I was God. I told you I was the Messiah. I was a Savior. This just showed you that I wasn't lying. This is the claim to back it up. I defeated the death. I defeated the grave. I defeated death. I've risen to show you that I am. God, I love this verse. It's so, so good. Just a great reminder that we're not alone in our suffering. That Christ died for all of us as a payment for our sins. And uh, suffering does not mean, and I don't want you to be clear, I think this gives some encouragement that suffering does not mean something's wrong with your salvation. It's not going to break your salvation or remove your salvation. Romans 8 clearly tells us there's nothing on this side of heaven or this side of earth that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. I want you to hold, just grab a hold of that truth and hold strong to it. 
after things I've been going through life thinking, well, I'm going through bad times. Something must be wrong with me. No, it's on the contrary. First Tim, or Second Timothy told us that, in fact, you will suffer if you are living a godly life. You will be persecuted. It's not saying if you're living a messed up sinful life, why would they attack you? You're fitting right in with them. Okay? It's when we've chosen to live the life that matters. It's when we've chosen to live our life out for the Lord. We're living differently. We're contrary to culture, to society. It stands out. People begin to notice. It makes them a little uncomfortable, okay? Because it points out, whoa, are you saying I'm messing up? You're saying something's wrong with me. All these thoughts come to mind. So they're going to attack that to get rid of it, okay? And so when you're facing suffering, that's not how something's wrong or broken with your salvation. It's on the opposite hand of that. You're probably doing something right for the Lord. All right. Now, here's where it can get a little crazy. Okay, verse 19. It goes on to say, <clears throat> well, I'll read 18 so it'll kind of fit in. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Okay, see, I'm reading this the first time. I'm like, I don't even know what I just read. Okay, I really don't know what I just read. And so I read over, I read over and over and looked at a bunch of commentaries and, and study notes. And based on what somebody, a lot of people kind of come to the same understanding of is that the reason there's not more details on this is because the people that Peter was originally writing to, they knew what he was referencing already. But what we can kind of somewhat gather is that in between the time when Jesus died and resurrected from the grave, in that moment, in that moment, he gave a proclamation to some disobedient angels from the time of Noah. So if you're sitting here thinking, I don't know what just happened, okay, welcome to the club, okay? That's what's going on. But in this moment, what I want us to see, more than anything, not just, well, that's kind of strange, or that's kind of different. In that moment, what he was proclaiming was that he is victorious, and he is supreme. And for us, what I want us to see is not the fact that, oh, wow, there's some angels that, that know it's time to disobey in Noah. What I want us to see is that Jesus is victorious, and he is supreme. When we're facing suffering, let's remember that. Jesus is victorious. He is supreme. We'll close real quick. And he goes on to say, in it a few, he's talking about Noah, there's just eight of them that were saved through the ark, that were saved through water. Verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to to him. What I want to see is that, first of all, it talks about there was a few, okay? The few were being persecuted by the majority in this day. Noah's building the boat. They're all like, what are you doing? All right, and at that point, they'd never experienced rain before. So they're like, what are you building a boat for? Okay, the old man. It's like, God told you to do that? <laughs> okay. They're thinking he's some kind of loony, crazy man. And the whole time, Noah's like, you know what? I'm just being obedient to what God has called me to do. No matter what happens to me, I'm going to be faithful to that. It ended up being just eight of them got on the ark, saved them from the flood, Thankfully, God also gave a promise after the flood that he wouldn't do that again, because that's an absolutely terrifying thing. Just imagine you've never experienced water, rain, thunder, lightning before, and all of a sudden, all at once, that's coming in a great flood. Pretty much is happening like that. Absolutely terrifying, at least to me, because I had this innate fear of drowning. So, whew, you know, that story causes anxiety sometimes there. But I also want to be clear. In verse 21, it says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience, Toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to be clear that baptism does not save you, and that is not what Peter is saying here. Okay? That is not what saves you. Now, the picture of baptism is a picture of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. 
Uh, you're in the water before you're going down. This is your, your life before Christ. You're surrendering. You're dying to yourself. You're dying to yourself. You're raised in new life of Christ. Baptism is an extremely awesome display of the gospel. But in this moment, what we're looking at is more of a statement of identif identification with Christ. It's to encourage and remind the believers of who they are in Christ through the relationship with him. And just as the resurrection of Christ affirmed his deity, it also confirms our security and our relationship with him. So this is the picture saying, you've got a relationship with Christ. That's what's going to bring you through this suffering. Okay? You can't lose that. That's not going to be taken away from you. That's where you find your source of strength and encouragement in the midst of the suffering you're facing. So once again, I love how Peter just continually encourages and challenges and reminds us of who Jesus is, because that's what you and I really got to be doing in the midst of suffering, is not focusing on that suffering, but remembering who Jesus is in the midst of it. That's huge. Because we remember who Jesus is in the midst of it, our mindset's immediately different. We're going to be ready, we're going to, be ready to respond differently. And that's when we get the platform to share the hope that is within us. So see, many times we look at suffering as this bad, terrible thing that could happen to you. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be fun or enjoyable, but the way God's Word is describing it, that it's going to be a platform. If we choose to focus on Jesus and respond, this is, suffering is a platform for us to then share the hope that we have to Him. That's probably not the platform you've prayed for, okay? You may pray for, hey, God, you know, let me be this famous, rich person or this great leader or this organizational leader. Get a platform and stage in front of everybody. And God's saying, you know what? Your, your platform may be suffering. That doesn't mean something's wrong with you or that I don't love you. That's just the platform I'm giving you. So focus on me and, and use it. Focus on me and make an impact in the lives of there that are there for you. What we do with Christ matters. For those of us that have chosen to follow him, we can go through life with a confidence and a great hope despite and in the midst of our situation and circumstances. But those of us that maybe haven't chosen to follow Christ, he is the hope you're looking for. He is the one that can fill that void that you've been trying to fill your own life, your own way throughout life. And I would encourage you today to meet him. What will you do with Jesus? The life you live matters. How we respond to life matters. And what we do with Jesus matters. The scripture tells us there's a chance we're going to face suffering. The question is now, will you be ready? We know now how God wants us to respond. So now it's just a matter of us, each one of us taking the steps necessary to be ready when or if that moment comes.